0: <laughs> Objection! And hello, welcome to Into the Gamer, baby. <laughs> hey, my name is Brendan Bigley. It's a Loki Video Game Podcast. I just saw like the
1: Phoenix Wright health bar go all the way down. After that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> The judge is like, ugh. I'm Steven Hilger. Uh, I guess this is the earliest we've revealed what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, Brendan and I have finally uh, properly visited the Ace Attorney trilogy, the original three yeah, Ace Attorney games starring Phoenix Wright and Friends, largely, I think, in preparation for our DS episode. However, it's interesting that these games were originally on the Game Boy Advance in Japan. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a
0: bridge between our two. Yeah, the Cosmic episodes. Link. Yeah. Between seasons three and four. Four and five? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Numbers. Yeah, I uh, I have been playing these games on every platform I can, which is also a weird thing. Uh, I, played, I played them on DS and on mobile and on the Nintendo Switch, uh, which has been a really interesting experience. So I'll probably get into that a little bit as well. But um, you have been playing mainly three, Trials and Tribulations. I have played the first two cases of... The original Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. The second one, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, Justice for All. Yeah. And then Trials and Tribulations. And uh it's a, it's it's an interesting I would not recommend doing it that way. I'll say that much. I did it mainly for this episode. Yeah, I think you should just do it in order. You should definitely just do it in order. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is a continuous story. Yeah, which I didn't really know when I started doing this and then realized very quickly when I started two, and definitely when I started three, which is like very interested in being the end of a trilogy. But that having been said, I, I had never really experienced like mainline Phoenix, right? Like actually really giving it a shot ever until now. I, I had it on mobile like years ago when I was commuting. Cause I used to, I think I've said this on the show before, but I I used to commute like two hours each way to work. Yeah which just gave me a lot of time to play stuff on my phone or like a Game Boy or a Switch or whatever I brought with me or work on stuff on my computer. Um, And at one point or another, I bought the Phoenix Wright trilogy on mobile specifically to give it a shot and uh, never really did. Never really gave it a fair shake. I would always like start it and then bail or do something, get distracted, whatever. So it was really fun to sit down and actually give it a real shot. Listeners of the show may also remember that I did pick up the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, as well, which is a recent re-release of I think some 3DS games that were out in Japan, which uh, featured Sherlock Shomes, or that's at least right. that's that's how <laughs> they had to rebrand him for release in the US because of the yeah. the Sherlock Holmes estate being particularly shitty, I think, about rights management. So that having been said, I, I I'm not like coming into this with absolutely nothing, but. This is definitely my first time just like sitting down and playing Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney and just seeing what it is, you know, in its in its barest form, because I I think the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles and especially the sequels to the first game definitely start to layer on a lot of mechanics and are more interested in different things than the first game is. Um, And and it was cool kind of following that lineage over the past couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, I've been really excited to finally play these games. And I think this is one of the series that like when we decided on the DS, I was most excited to to Mm. check out because like. Pretty much, like, four out of five close friends in my life deeply love this series. Like, I think that this series has had such a devoted following for so long. It feels like... It's one of those games that is more in the limelight than you would guess it would be. Like, it feels like it has yeah. all the makings of a cult hit, but it's, like, one of Capcom's biggest franchises somehow, <laughs> uh, which is very funny, like but, that but I Monster think it's a Hunter. testament. That Mon- <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I think Resident Evil is number one, but, like, the reason this game is so readily available on so many places is because it's sold very well and right, it's been right. well-received. I actually did get the trilogy on 3DS for sale, like, three or four years ago, and I played... Like 75% of the first game. So mm. I actually weirdly did play a lot of this series kind of like secretly. Like I was going to bring it to the show. I don't really know why I didn't. Maybe like Three Houses came out or something. Like I feel like <laughs> there was an event that like, if it was 2019, that's actually very likely. Yeah. That happens every now and then. Like you and I will maybe play like a few things in preparation of like having something for a weekly episode, and then like something else just takes our attention away. Totally. But I remember feeling like initially kind of mixed about the first one, which I think we'll get to when we talk about the series. Like I think the first one it immediately showcases the series' greatest strength, which is character. Like the cast of these games is so strong. Yeah, I love like everyone, even the villains who like objectively suck. They're just so funny. The way they're animated and the way they like their names are always like you know stinks a lot or something yeah
0: (laughs) their design generally speaking is like so outlandish uh to the point of you know extreme extreme parody which is really fun like one of the first guys i think from i think he's from the first game they're all blending together now that i've been you know just like really playing a lot of phoenix right but i think one of the first guys the extremely rich dude yeah yeah who uh who works for like blue corp or something and he just has this like really bright neon pink suit and neon pink hair and his fingers are covered in gold rings with huge jewels on them. And whenever he says anything, he just like flashes all those jewels to you we haven't even mentioned what these games are actually we maybe take a step back they're visual novels if you've never played any of the of the phoenix Wright games they're like visual novels slash like courtroom procedurals so imagine like kind of a, with like
1: point and click puzzle solving as well
0: yeah so imagine like a law and order svu by way of by way of just like capcom and the nintendo ds um it, it's extremely silly and i think just Generally speaking, a really great idea for video game series. Uh, and I'm yeah. glad that it's like executed on this level. And uh, is this good? I, I've actually I've had an interesting time playing through all three of them specifically because like I think I like the courtroom stuff more than I like any other part of this. Like I I, I think the back, yeah, I and agree. F- yeah. the back and forth of just like people yelling objection and hold it and like the witness testimony and like needing to figure out where people are lying and like how to present facts and stuff. That's always really fun to me. And what I've noticed especially playing Great Ace Attorney Chronicles as well, is I feel like the the series has become less interested in the courtroom side and is more interested in like the storytelling investigation, like go out and do stuff in the world side of things. Because especially in the first two cases of each game, you can feel that investigation, like I'm going to go to this crime scene and like look around and pick up clues and like add them to the court record and stuff and interrogate people and whatever. All of that starts to expand over the course of the games. And then especially in Great Ace Attorney Chronicles chronicles i mean most of it is investigating like most of it is mm. being on a crime scene uh with herlock Sholmes and and doing nonsense <laughs> um which i i think is a little bit of a bummer for me specifically but also i think is one of the things that the game as much as i love the characters and i love like hanging out in that world and talking to people i i think it's one of the places where the game kind of like the the series to me needs to kind of realign because parts a big part of the problem i think is that the story only really really progresses in the courtroom like that's that's yeah. the only place where you can actually make an active difference everything else is just a puzzle of seeing like what didn't you click on you know where haven't you gone yet who didn't you talk to and what dialogue did you not specifically like progress in the right direction and then when you get into the courtroom it's similar it is like this whole like kind of puzzle sequence but because of the structure of the way like actual procedural law <laughs> works having this setup where it's like you know, there's the opening arguments and then there's the witness testimony and then you get to, you know, cross examine the witness and press them on all of their statements and then present information to them and stuff. It, it feels very regimented in the way a video game does. And that, yeah. that is a very satisfying collection of, of steps to go through. And then when you're out in the world and doing investigating, that's where it gets like almost too loose sometimes. And the games have gotten better at doing it over time. I think yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's where two definitely kind of kind of wavers a little bit. But like three, for example, which is the one you've been playing more of this week is I think really good about it, even though I, I think that balance is like way, way, way off, especially what is it? The second, the second case when you're doing, um, you're like searching for a missing urn and there's like this masked thief who's running amok, like stealing priceless art uh, and, and artifacts and stuff. Most of that case is dealt with outside of the courtroom. The courtroom bits are very small by comparison, which I found to be a little bit of a bummer. But, you know, again, the characters are so wild. And like I said, I mean, it's a masked vigilante stealing priceless art. Uh, so how bad can it be? Yeah, you know? <laughs> they, they make those, you know, like you move around to
1: different locations and talk to people and examine the scene to find more evidence. I think they add a little bit more agency with uh, I think they added this in two but it's also in three. I think it's called the psych lock where every yeah. now and then there'll be a character who is, hesitant to share more information with you. So it's kind of like a mini court case game within those segments. Which is cool. I think that that seems to be them sort of figuring out like how do we make these segments more engaging. But like I almost need less agency in those moments. Like I I wouldn't even mind if it was like just straight up dialogue in between court cases. Mm -hmm. Because again, Mm -hmm. I think you're right that like the reason you're playing and the reason like or at least the reason you're playing mechanically is for the court cases. They're so gripping and exciting. I mean, like, they've been memed to death, so it's, like, hard to even talk about with a straight face because, like, you know, the yelling objection. Essentially, the core way to progress a case is during the witness testimony. There's, like, you know, you progress, like, blocks of text. And if you have evidence that can contradict one of their testimonies, that's like how you move on to the next phase. Right. But you can also say hold it and like press them for more information. You can literally hold Y on your DSI in 2022 and yell hold it out loud and the game's mic will pick it up instead of having to tap it. I've done it three times now. And it's been it's been pretty <laughs> thrilling, I'll say. I'm amazed that you can't say objection out loud. That's like, I mean, maybe you can. Maybe I didn't see it, but you can you can say hold it for sure. I love that. So yeah, I've been <laughs> playing mostly three. I think my I think my plan will be to maybe backtrack and like finish one and then play two and then go back to three and finish three because I think that like again I think the way we play them is kind of strange that being said if you do want to just jump right to three which I think it seems like the consensus is also that that's the best one I do think though it helps to have some prior knowledge and connection to these characters and one does a lot of work setting up the relationship between Phoenix and Maya who are the leads of the game and also Miles Edgeworth, who is like that sort of rival character who has mm-hmm. a really like his arc in the first game is like the reason to play the first mm-hmm. one. I think one of many reasons to play the first one. The reason I initially struggled with the first one is I found that like we, we mentioned how goofy a lot of the villains are and like the games mostly do a good job kind of levying the heavy tone because most of the cases are murder cases like it's usually about murder. Yeah. So think that they they help cut that tension with like just how colorful and funny the world is. But every now and then there's a case that I think demands more respect that's like kind of lost in that portrayal. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So I think that like ultimately it boils down to this is a really hard game to make. It's a great idea, but it's a hard concept to gamify and it's a really hard tone to balance. So I think that like it mostly succeeds, but when it doesn't, it it can feel very off-putting. And I won't spoil the story of the first game, but there are just some events that I'm like, you know, I think I, I like the characters so much that when I feel the game mistreats them, I feel like someone like insulted a friend of mine. I'm like, how yeah. dare you? <laughs> you know,
0: I, I I think specifically there's like a tutorial case in the first one where you're dealing with uh, a friend of yours named Larry Butts, <laughs> who is on trial for murder uh, and like clearly didn't do it. But he's just like such an idiot that like, of course, people think that it's him. And the case after that, like you said, I'm, I'm not going to give it away, but The case after that, it goes from like this kind of like goofy thing where they kind of strike the right balance, even though like it is a grisly murder and it sucks. It goes from that to a case that very specifically is like it hits really hard and and is treated with the same levity even though it's like a completely different vibe and it's kind of off-putting I know what you mean like it's it's definitely kind of off-putting I do think I'm probably gonna do the same thing you were just saying like now that I'm now when we're done with this episode I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna finish one and then finish two and then play through three but that second case definitely kind of put a bad taste in my mouth I think for the trilogy and then I moved on to two and was having a good time then moved on to three and I was having like a really good time so I I think it kind of loops back around eventually it's just going to be like a some cases are better than others you know which as with like it's essentially set up like an episodic television show in a way I mean it's literally like it's broken up into things that they actually call episodes so it's just going to be like some episodes are better than others you know
1: totally that that's yeah. definitely the vibe sometimes it just feels like the pacing can sometimes feel off when they have like really concrete ideas of like what's supposed to happen next even though maybe we like needed a little bit more time to get there if that makes sense
0: yeah definitely i i have found also and i'll be interested to see how i feel about it by the time i get to three but i i, I find that the cases that are trying to progress the plot of the trilogy are kind of the weakest ones like the moments in which they need to Mm. like remind me or tell me about the overarching plot of the trilogy are the moments where the game kind of like stumbles a bit like I'm more interested in the total like bottle episode ones uh, more than others like for example I actually did start playing the third case in the first game which is uh, essentially like two guys who work on a television show where they both play like future cyberpunk samurais and one of them is on trial for killing the other one like the hero and the villain like the hero actually killed the villain in real life and that case is awesome like that case is like so yeah. fun and silly and weird uh, and, and the characters are incredible and like immediately stand out from the moment you meet them and is like mostly unrelated to the overall plot and it's just like a joy you know and then when you get thrust back into like oh well this person knows this person and this goes back to the second game and this connects back to the first game also in this way you know it's like eh, I'm, I'm kind of less interested in that overall like for example I think in the third game th- there's a point that you, you texted me about yesterday while I was playing you were just like I'm very excited for you to meet Godot who is one of the lawyers in the third game and meeting Godot specifically was like yeah this this fucking rules this is incredible this character is amazing <laughs> I, I was like immediately smitten but it was also embroiled in this case that was supposed to be like this kind of all-encompassing thing that is supposed to you know not tie up loose ends but like is interrogating loose ends from previous games that I was like I'm uninterested in that I'm only interested in Godot like you just brought in this new guy <laughs> to be clear this dude he has like white spiky hair that looks a lot like Phoenix's in a way yeah. Yeah. And a little bit of facial hair. uh, But his the top half of his face is obscured by this kind of like cyberpunk mask that he's wearing. And he loves coffee and is constantly like trying to make new kinds of coffee. Like he's he's trying to invent new like roasting methods for coffee. And he's he has an assistant literally like uh, like in cheers, like sliding coffee mugs of different flavors and, and different roasts over to him as he's doing the case. So like Literally every other line that he gives will open with a coffee mug sliding across the table and then him catching it and taking a sip of it before he says anything. And it'll happen like... (laughs) Like four times in like one sentence that he's trying to deliver, yeah. which is incredible. I mean, the, the comedy is wild with Godot. I, lo- I love Godot.
1: It lands every time because he's also genuinely very cool. Like it's like, <laughs> it's like they, they, they hit the perfect balance of like, this is so silly, but like I love this guy so much. Yeah. And he's often, very good like, at his job. They somehow won up to Edgeworth, which, which I thought was impossible, yeah. but they often will slide him a cup of coffee just so he can do a spit take, which like <laughs> makes me crack up every time. And he'll specify like like this case I'm only going to drink 17 cups and like that's like how he paces his whole like battle plan is like <laughs> what cup of coffee am I on this time right you know and he'll have something like pseudo profound to say about like ah the the black empty void of like yeah this blend number four or something it, he's fantastic and I think like you know there's there's mystery into like who he is and stuff but I agree I think the other thing too about the bottle episodes being stronger is that I find that like the logic that's of the player is more direct. I think all the games struggle with this feeling of like, I have to just sort of try to figure out what the game wants me to do but the moments where like you have figured out the case like you found the the misstep in logic or mm-hmm. you found the inconsistency it's it's thrilling like when the music changes and like you you know you're pushing the pressure on the prosecutor and then godot does the spit take you feel like a genius it's it's totally. unmatched. it's a really yeah. great high and I, I get why like the court cases while they're the main event they also have to be like they're like the strong spice they have to be kind of scattered out cuz mm-hmm. like if the game was just court cases i don't think they would have the same highs yeah, I mean, and that's really the, those moments of victory are really accentuated by the character animations and the soundtracks to these games. There, there's no shortage of praise for the music here. Yeah, um, like freezing cold take, but like <laughs> the soundtracks, I think, really carry the the entire experience, especially in the like in between investigation moments where you're just like talking to people and and traveling around.
0: Yeah, Th- these games are uh very good. <laughs> all three of them they're very good um i I would recommend playing through all three in order definitely i would say don't do it the way that we're doing it uh they they deserve to be played in order and specifically my reasoning for trying it out on multiple platforms um they're they're all over the place they're available on like xbox and i think playstation as well and pc but that having been said i was kind of curious like okay is there an actual best place to play these these days and the answer is no really you know if you're playing it on other platforms that are in the ds you might not be able to yell hold it into your microphone, unfortunately. <laughs> but... Honestly, like I I think I'm probably going to go back and play the rest of it on Switch because Switch just feels like a good place for it. It does a weird yeah. thing where they kind of smooth out all the pixel art. Uh, it kind of looks like yeah. it's like been passed through a filter. Not too dissimilar from the Chrono Cross remaster we were talking about last week, but definitely because of how minimal the art style is. It doesn't feel like abrasive in the way that did. Yeah, it just, it just feels smoother. But that having been said, I, I do think there's something to be said about the DS and the iOS and, and Android version specifically allowing you to search through Documents and like look through uh profiles of people related to the case, like while they're speaking, which is yeah. a thing that you had brought up earlier on when I told you I was thinking about playing the Switch version. Um, and you're definitely right about that. I, I, I think that ability to like go through and search through that stuff, uh, mid conversation is definitely very helpful. Whereas in the Switch version, you need to wait for somebody to stop speaking before you can start looking through stuff. Where the Switch version kind of wins out, though, is the ability to fast forward dialogue, which I think is nice. But a weird thing that none of them have, which they eventually figured out for greatest attorney. Chronicles is like just auto progressing of dialogue which I really 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 wish was in these games Um, and it's kind of a bummer they have not like added in any way in these more modern releases like the 3ds or the or the switch version um, which would be really nice because the ability to like make lunch and then sit down and just be like I'm just gonna like go through the whole investigation part by just like kind of sitting down and letting dialogue autoplay and then like only chiming in when I need to is really freeing and really nice and really kind of adds to that like I'm experiencing a visual novel I'm watching a episode of television, you know, so you can get to the court case where you're like really really very active so that that needing to constantly be active in the investigation and in all dialogue by always pressing buttons is definitely a thing where i think i think the game kind of like missteps on pacing a little bit like all three of them i think have this issue but that's kind of where greatest attorney chronicles picks up the slack because you could just sit down you could turn on the the auto playing of dialogue and you can like sit back and like let things play out and they're all timed comedically and it really works um, so, yeah yeah
1: I'm like kind of debating if I would want to see voice acting in these games I mean you get a little bit mm-hmm. with objection and stuff but like I think it might especially during investigation like I don't know I, I think there's definitely something nice about just reading it in the court case especially you know when you're hearing the testimony over and over again to find the misstep it would be yeah. hard to like hear it over and over again but you know they could do like a a uh, okay maybe the investigation phases are fully voiced but then in the courtroom it's like a Zelda or Fire Emblem thing where they'll say
0: one word that kind of sums mm-hmm. up
1: what the whole text box is. I don't know. I, I'd be curious to see if they ever go down that road.
0: Yeah. I don't I don't think they did that in Ace Attorney Chronicles, but I can't remember now. I'm trying to remember if they actually did that or not. I don't think they did. Yeah. I, I think uh, now that I now that I mention it, a big part of Greatest Attorney Chronicles coming to a worldwide release was how intensive the localization was. Yeah. Which uh I imagine would not lend itself very easily to also adding voice acting, if I were to guess.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I just think like the characters are so like the the dialogue is so sharp and fun that like I could see really good performances coming out of this script. Yeah. You know? Oh,
0: absolutely. Yeah. But,
1: uh, you know, I think there, I think there is also an anime. I don't know how it is, but like, oh. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. That there's like a, just an actual show about this. Right.
0: <laughs> I was looking into uh, a bunch of, you know, part of preparing for the DS episode is like reading a bunch of like best games on the DS lists and stuff uh, just to compile the ones that we wanted to play. But recently I've been looking through lists of what people say are like the best Phoenix Wright games. Like, okay, rank all of them. And three generally is the one that people say is the best one. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with having played one and two also, yeah. which is why I'm very interested to go back and do those. But there are a lot of them on the DS also, which is very interesting. Yeah. Like there there was a kind of spin-off, maybe sequel series that was called Apollo Justice, which is like a younger kid who uh, I think also works for Phoenix Rights Agency. That's like the that's like the
1: next saga. So yes. like once Phoenix trilogy is done, the baton is passed to Apollo. And then they
0: also simultaneously did uh, a spin-off series with Edgeworth, who is yeah. who is missing. And the third one and, and I guess is about where he goes. Um, but unfortunately, the game that a lot of people say is like close to the top of the list, which is the, the second one in the Edgeworth series, uh, never made it here so it's oh really japan only i think people have localized like there's a fan translation that maybe exists somewhere which i'm trying to decide if i want to actually track down and play because i feel like if i play through one two and three and i just kind of land on three it'll be like cool i'm i'm good maybe if i really get into it i'll i'll go do that but i've heard that the first edgeworth one not very good but the second one that was only in japan is actually incredible which is kind of a bummer to know that we only got the the bummer one
1: yeah i I wonder it's like edgeworth is such a strong like compliment to phoenix that i just wonder how he would be as a leading man. You know, because like, yes, totally. His his whole thing is like he he. <laughs> I know I make everything like this, but he is very Javert, <laughs> like, he has a very intense dedication to his view of justice, yeah, um, and you learn why, and he you know becomes a little bit more humanized by the end but uh yeah i I would like to see that second game for sure. There's also a crossover with Professor Layton. yes, which i'm I'm
0: very curious about playing,
1: yeah, and it also feels like like while three is often the one that's highlighted, it feels like three is almost a stand in for like. Saying that this trilogy is kind of a collective experience, kind mm-hmm. of like Mass Effect, where, mm-hmm. like, after we played Legendary Edition for our bonus, like, even though we could say, like, okay, I like two the most. The reality in which you just play two is kind of like non existent. Like you yeah. should really see the whole thing, and that's kind of what it feels like here too.
0: Yeah, totally. Um so no machete order for Ace Eternity. Yeah, don't do machete order. Don't do what we did. Yeah. I, I have inadvertently spoiled myself on a case that I was in the middle of doing for two, uh, by playing three, which was kind of a bummer.
1: I will say though, like the one thing that we kind of, you know, didn't want to spoil, but the one case that I felt kind of left a bad taste in my mouth in the first game. The third game has a case that like I don't want to say like rectifies it but it did make that plot beat feel much like better handled by the characters in a way yes um yeah i think like it did more honor to the character in that moment i um, so it, it, very it, agree yeah it almost reminded me again my habits here but it reminded me of star trek tng where like there's a character killed off in the first season in like the shittiest way possible yeah and then later in the show they kind of they kind of like re-examine it and they send off the character again in a much more more meaningful way in like one of the best episodes of the series. Yeah. So like, I don't necessarily like when fiction like folds to the demands of like the audience. Cause that can kind of muddy what the intention is. But I do like when fiction can look at like, did we did we value the character here? Like, did we value like, the story here? And if not, is there a way that we can actually make this story better by like revisiting that moment? Yeah. But yeah, I'm I am I'm very, I'm very happy I finally kind of got invested in this series. I I think there's a pretty strong chance it will be on my list in some capacity. I think so too. And they're just like, I mean, even outside of the DS episode, they're just games that are worth experiencing. They're so unique. I think like the visual novel genre if you want to call it that is kind of a very broad term and i'm really curious like what can exist in that space you know you have stuff like 13 sentinels which our friends aj and kim are doing their new season of asynchronous all about you should listen to it yeah but that game is like the most unhinged wild story possible that's like kind of paired with real-time strategy. Um, And then you have stuff like Kentucky Rat Zero, if you want to call that a visual novel, that's like as close to a book as a game can be. (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Or maybe even a play. So I don't know. I just think it's like a very broad label that I, I sometimes find some of the more interesting games can exist in a genre that is more loosely defined. You know, I think there's a lot of creative freedom there.
0: I found that a lot of the visual novels that I specifically clung to are the ones that kind of use the fact that they are visual novels as ways to um, justify putting, like, way more resources in being, like, really visually interesting or, like, really having, like, some... Pretty wild mechanics. So, like Phoenix Wright, for example, I think does a really wonderful job of you know having this incredible music and they obviously focus on the writing, but all the art direction and all the character designs are just like so outlandish and so fun and all fit into this like really cool world. Thirteen Sentinels obviously has like the most beautiful painted art possible. Uh it, it's like really stunning <laughs> to look at. There's another yeah. game I'm playing on the DS right now that's called Hotel Dusk 215. Yeah. Or room two fifteen. Which is stu- I don't know if you have played it at all, but like the way it works is you you hold the DS like a book, like you're playing like Brain Age, and it's kind of also a similar like investigation kind of thing where you check into this uh you check into this hotel like in the middle of nowhere where like you check in and the guy is like oh I'm I'm giving you the wish room. He's like why is my room named? He's like because it grants wishes. And it's like okay that's weird. So it's kind of like this weird almost supernatural investigation game, but all of the art is like animated pencil sketches, and it's stunning to look at. I mean it's like unbelievable how beautiful this game is. And and I feel like that's the stuff that really That really clicks for me so yeah anyway all that having been said phoenix right you you mentioned this when we were talking about doing this uh episode today but uh it's really nice to be able to recommend a game that is like widely available and it was really nice to have played it on all these platforms and say like actually wherever you want to play it is the best place to play it just because it's available everywhere um so shout out to capcom for actually putting the game out you know on modern platforms
1: it's also on sale pretty often so like you can get it for pretty cheap, um, anywhere that works for you, so, yeah, I, I would I would highly recommend checking out this trilogy. It's it's a lot of fun. It's also like a really nice game to play, like late at night like it's a good like wind down even though it can be high intensity with like the the things being explored and like the the courtroom drama it's a nice like positive ritual you know it's just sort of like okay i'm gonna like do a little bit of investigation before i go to bed or yeah, something yeah the past
0: couple of nights uh, not a joke i have actually fallen asleep like with my switch in my hands playing phoenix <laughs> right which is actually very nice
1: yeah um i'm excited to to check out uh there's another game on the ds that is i believe by the creator of phoenix right or of ace yeah. attorney um called ghost trick that is sort of uh similar to the hotel Dusk game you just mentioned you're like a ghost who
0: solves mysteries yeah by like in, by like inhabiting objects around the world it's really cool
1: yeah i'm excited to see how that is so that will you know we'll we'll see what happens with that but um there's a lot of ace attorney content out there yeah
0: so. uh it's also worth mentioning that Ghost Trick is also available on mobile. Oh, so, really? That's yeah, good. It's just another game that Capcom has decided to release on multiple platforms and keep alive. <laughs> I think mean, this is a good section, but I keep thinking about objection. <laughs> it's like stuck in my head permanently.
1: <laughs> hey, hey, hold it, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do a dose spit take the next time you say that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: okay should we take a break <laughs> move on yeah I, I i just i love like also one last thing about his attorney like a lot of the dialogue boxes will have just sound effects mm-hmm. so like if someone is mad or there's like an awkward moment you'll hear like Psh! like this like you hear like a punch sound yeah. effect and like it really helps kind of break up the feeling and that's something you know i think you mentioned how visual novels as a genre have to really kind of focus on certain elements or at least they had the freedom to focus on certain elements because like how do you gamify something this loose and mm-hmm. I think by just giving certain dialogue boxes like sound effects it makes it feel more engaging totally it's like you know the tedium of having to read a bunch of stuff which it could feel like yeah uh, but it doesn't it avoids that entirely yeah I'm a, I'm a fan I'm into it it's good good trilogy <laughs> objection objection okay. see you later <laughs> bye <laughs> bye objection
0: Take that- Stephen, we were just talking about in the break how uh, opening the episode with the word objection, I think, like, completely unhooked us from our initial plan for what we were going to do for the episode. Yeah, it sure did. It sure did. Uh, so here, here's the deal. What we meant to do at the top of the episode. <laughs> Bazinga. My name's Steve. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Who's delical? Good thing we could retcon that. Yeah, right, exactly. There um. Anyway. Uh, what we had planned on doing at the top of the episode was what we did at the end of last week's episode, which is uh, <laughs> just talk about the changes to our Patreon. Uh, but instead, we talked about Phoenix Wright. So uh did want to very quickly, very quickly, uh, because now it's happening in the middle of the episode, just kind of gloss over some changes that we have added to the Patreon uh, as of last week's episode. Um, so up until last week, we had one tier, which was a pay one dollar or more, and you will get access to uh, an RSS feed, which has Patreon bonuses episodes, which was very cool and good and that it's not changing at all. That tier still exists. You pay one dollar or more and you will get access to the Patreon bonus feed. I, I've seen some discussion back and forth about this, so just to like clarify the way we do episodes, We have weekly episodes that come out on Wednesdays, like the one you're listening to right now, dear listener. We have a monthly bonus episode that we have uh, said many times we will do as long as one person is backing the Patreon. So if everybody leaves except one person, we will still do monthly bonus episodes that are freely available for everybody. And that will be focused on a game or an idea, etc., etc. As we have mentioned this week's or this month's is going to be about Undertale, which is very cool. So we have that. And then for the Patreon feed is kind of just like whenever you and I are inspired to record again outside of that structure. Yeah. We have had a couple instances here and there where we've recorded something that was like meant to be for the Patreon feed that we ended up releasing on the public feed. Um, So generally speaking, it's really just like kind of a game time decision, but we don't have like a set schedule or anything for that. It's more just whenever you and I are inspired. Um, The example I like to use is you and I had watched Arcane, which was that Netflix show about League of Legends, and we're like, we really want to talk about it and we want to talk about it in front of microphones. Um, So that just went to the Patreon feed because it doesn't Totally fit anything else that we usually do. That having been said, you just released a pretty big episode uh, last Friday, which was a uh, a recap and and a conversation about Personas three, four, and five, like the the kind of mainline modern yeah. version of Persona, uh, with two of our friends, Lana Oken and Callie Barthwire, which is available now. Uh, it's like almost four hours long, I think, and uh, is really fun. I've only listened to Persona five part of it, because that's the only game that I've played to completion. Or It's the only game I know all of the story of. I haven't actually played it to completion, but I hope to one day. But I'm not on that episode, (laughs) uh, which is good because that means that I can finally go back and play Personas 3 and 4. But that episode is available now. So if you back to Patreon, you get that. Okay, all that having been said, that's the one dollar tier. We have a five dollar tier where you get a kind of like behind the scenes database and like schedule of all the episodes we've ever done of the show, all of the games that we talked about in each episode. Um, And if you click on any of those games, you can see a whole bunch of information about them like when did they come out what platforms are they available for what other episodes do we talk about this game on alongside that it keeps track of goatee lists it has a calendar of upcoming game releases that you and i are interested in and like keeping an eye on and like You know, stuff that either has dates or doesn't. So you can see a calendar of like, here's what's coming next month or like, here's what's coming in 2022. But we don't really know when um, things like that. So it's just kind of like this big resource of stuff that you and I were keeping track of on the side and, you know, just kind of like doing in Google Calendar and in Excel Docs and things like that. But it was like, why don't we just like put it all in one place um, and give you guys access to it? to your listeners uh so if you pay five dollars or more you get access to that you can see stuff like our future plans uh for future episodes um things like that which is cool we also introduced a ten dollar tier which you don't you don't get anything for at the moment as we mentioned last week um let's <laughs> nice try nice nice try bazinga but what you do get or what you will get eventually is a permanent discount code that we're going to uh add for the merch store that we're working on so when that opens um which i'm hoping to be this month or next month you will have a a, a discount code uh, for that that will apply to everybody who is paying $10 or more to the Patreon. Um, so that's the Patreon at the moment. You can find it at patreon.com slash into the cast. Thank you so much to everybody who's already backing that. Yeah. And the people who either increased their pledges or joined recently, pretty wild. Thank you so much to everybody who joined uh, in between last week and this week. Very cool. Thank you.
1: Yeah. It's been, it's been really uh, overwhelmingly positive. Thank you so much for, For all of your support, it really means a lot.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad people like the uh, database because I I was unsure if people would actually find that interesting. But I I don't know. I was building it for you and I to use and then eventually was like, this is actually like a cool... It's actually like a cool thing. It's actually very interesting. So I'm glad that people, uh, the the response to that has been very positive. So I think also like
1: I feel really good. And again, like please always send us your feedback. But I think like you and I have worked a lot on kind of making sense of the Patreon and like finding a way to invest in it and to invest in the show without paywalling too much. So I think we struck a good balance here. I think that like it seems like it's working for people as well. But again, always let us know like what you think and how you're enjoying the perks we're always open to feedback yeah but i i I think that this is a nice point that we're at
0: totally and yeah i mean that that patreon money goes to a bunch of stuff as well whether it's like taking a chance on games or uh filling holes in our console collections for example uh people have been asking us to get pcs like since we started the podcast uh (laughs) and you and i are both getting steam decks this year uh hopefully (laughs) we'll we'll see how shipping goes we'll see how that yeah we got we got bumped from q2 to q3 which was a bummer but uh we will get to start playing some stuff on pc at least which will be nice
1: that's really exciting so that's
0: exciting uh and also it helps us pay aj who uh produces the show and also does asynchronous and produces frog of the week and uh if you want aj to produce your show you should uh, you should hire them their links in the show notes also. Absolutely. They're incredible what they do. What else uh should we cover in this bit? I guess I'll just say like into the cast out online or link for everything so then we don't have to do it at the end. Uh you can find our Twitter there where we're either shit posting or tweeting about episodes. Uh we also have an Instagram which is just like a big grid of all the episode art that we've done for every episode of the show up until now, um which is fun. And we have YouTube and Twitch where we make stuff every once in a while. So, yeah. yeah. All that is available to you, dear listener, at IntoTheCast.online. So, Brendan, what's next? What's next? What you got for me? Yeah. Oh, man. Get to do more disclaimers. I, I haven't had to <laughs> oh, do whoops. this in a while. But uh, I work for Marvel, which is a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, which also owns Lucasfilm, the makers of Star Wars. Everything I say and do does not reflect the views of my employer, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Lego Star Wars Skywalker saga that got released a couple weeks ago. Maybe maybe last week, maybe two weeks ago, I don't even know. I've played so much of it recently. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is a pretty big release for the year. I think people have been yeah. anticipating it for a really long time. I personally have been anticipating it for a really long time, ever since I announced it, Because I remember the the first trailer dropping for this and thinking like, this looks like way bigger in scope than anything this team has ever tried to do in terms of adapting anything into the Lego universe. It it just seemed like a really substantial thing. It didn't seem like they were just going and like remaking the original Lego Star Wars and The Force Awakens and stuff. Uh, like it really felt like a, a a complete overhaul of Lego games. I going way back to the PS2, really loved the original Lego Star Wars. I played it just a ton and really loved it. I actually went and played the the DS version of it recently as well for our bonus just to see like how that worked. Uh, which was very interesting. But I really love those games. Just in case you've never played any of them, the the way the at least early LEGO games worked was essentially like an almost comedic retelling of whatever IP they had their hands on. So in the case of LEGO Star Wars, you would play through the Star Wars movies that were available at that time uh, in, in, I guess, the early to mid-2000s. And the characters would just kind of like bumble around as Legos uh, and there was no dialogue. They would just kind of like mumble. They'd be like, (laughs) and I don't know. They they, It was all just like visual gags and stuff. And the game was essentially like a -a collectathon platformer where you would make your way through beats from various movies and collect characters. And there would just be like a billion characters that you could collect in all of them and look for secrets all over the place and collect a currency to unlock more stuff and whatever. But it was very much like level based. Like you go into You know, the Phantom Menace, and you do the bit in the beginning when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan need to like escape from the Trade Federation ship stuff like that you know oh no they're gassing the room and now there's droids in the hallway and you're using your lightsaber to like make your way out of the ship things like that so that's that's how those games went for a long time and then over the course of time the developer TT Games went on to you know just like get more and more and more IP rights and and the ability to you know really expand so they've done stuff for Marvel they've done stuff for DC Uh, there was a Lego Harry Potter series they did they did a Lego Indiana Jones at one point uh, which is also available on the Nintendo DS <gasps> um if- and I think over the course of time, especially with like the rise of like the Lego movie and things like that, oh, they, yeah. they started to really kind of invest in like voice acting and writing for these games in a way that they really hadn't. And that was kind of where they lost me initially, because I think the first couple ones that I had played, which I, I, I don't remember which ones they were in particular, but I remember playing a couple Lego games like later on in life, uh, trying to like recapture that magic of the original Lego Star Wars. that I love so much. I, I was just like this voice acting is not very good. I'm not a huge fan of the writing. Like this isn't really working for me. And I kind of bounced and I, and I wasn't very interested in going back until this was announced until the Skywalker saga was announced. Um, was like, this is, this will be the, the best chance they have of bringing me back. I think. Cause like on the surface, the game is audacious. I mean, it's a wild idea. The, the idea of saying, we're going to do the thing that we've always done for these games, but it's going to cover nine movies by itself is like wild. What I didn't realize, but what the, what the trailers kind of alluded to and I, and I didn't believe, but like actually is the case is that pretty much all of the planets that anyone visits in any of the movies is like a, not fully, but like mostly open world, explorable space with, with like hidden items and side quests and characters to collect and all this stuff like everywhere. So this is like, we're getting, and really menial. I'm even talking about like the beginning of Attack of the Clones... Padme lands uh, her ship on, uh, on Coruscant and it like blows up right like on the landing pad and then she immediately goes to her house in the Senate building so uh, there's like the two assassination attempts that happen back to back and like that's how that movie opens that area the landing pad by itself is a full open world explorable yeah. area on Coruscant where you can go around and there's like a billion secrets and characters that you can unlock and like little side alleys that you can go into with like their own little puzzle rooms and stuff I mean, the breadth of content in this game is absolutely wild, like moments that you don't even remember from the movies are fully explorable open world spaces in a way that is like really, really, really audacious. And I I think the most shocking thing about it is that it all works and it's all really good. Yeah, I I, I think the thing that's really important to bring up here and and the reason I was kind of iffy about talking about it on the show in the first place is there was a really great Polygon report that came out a couple weeks before the game launched. Just talking about the working conditions at TT Games and how the use of the engine that they were using alongside just, you know, the scope of the game being like way out of whack and like way too big for any one game to be essentially has created a culture of crunch and horrible working conditions, uh, which, you know, is terrible. It's a thing that we hear about way too often. It's a a really big bummer. And I was I was iffy on even picking the game up in the first place, Um, even as somebody who like works for the Walt Disney Company. I was like, I don't know if I want to support this, but that having been said, eventually I was like, what, I, what I've what i heard about the game via reviews is like, it really is very good, you know, and I was like, ah, I'll, I'll give it a shot and see how I feel about it. And um, I've been really blown away. I think the thing, I, I streamed it a little bit the other day, uh, I streamed Attack of the Clones because I, I asked you and AJ which one I should play and, and you were like, Clones is the way to go. I'm so sorry I told you that. <laughs> <laughs> The first and last time I say clones is the way to go. I just was most curious about it. Yeah. What they've done with Attack of the Clones is very good. What I had to stream, unfortunately, because of the way like write, like right copyright management works, is Attack of the Clones, but with none of the music turned on. So we didn't get a <laughs> copyright strike, which is a very different video game. Let me tell you. What
1: we've learned is that the prequels without the music is grim. <laughs> it, is a, it is a grim viewing experience to see um, Dexter Jetster in silence. It's, it's a lot but uh
0: just though smiling to nothing to nothing yeah. yeah but uh that having been said I, I i was playing uh attack of the clones and i i kind of had this aha moment which is like the way i feel about this game is very similar to the way we all talked about The last of us part two in that like the game is incredible i mean the game is so good and and it is it's achieving such highs and there are so many moments where they've gone above and beyond what you would ever expect from a video game that in those moments that should be like wow i can't believe they've done this the only thing i can think about are the working conditions like the only thing i can think of like you and i talked about this uh with aj on our last of us 2 bonus episode but like there are moments when you run through an alleyway in the last of us part 2 that is the most visually dense alleyway you've ever seen in a video game with like individually rendered pieces of trash that are all physics objects with like posters and graffiti all over the place and the way the light hits it like it's clear that somebody spent like literally two months on that alleyway by itself and you sprint through it in like 0.5 seconds but like that visual density is present in the entirety of that game and those moments that should be like oh my god I can't believe that this is this is how visually stunning this game is are moments where you're like like it sucks to know that the people working on it did not have a good time and like that that there was like a mismanagement to the level uh, of people like not being able to go home and see their families and stuff like those are the things that you think about in instances like that and that's kind of where i find myself here Yeah, similar with red dead 2 as well and yes. i think it kind of goes back to what you mentioned with like i mean this this is a very large
1: conversation i mean obviously like there's no condoning the work practices. But in terms right. of like, you know, what the answer is, the, the issue here is so systemic that it's like the the unfortunate reality is like we hear these stories very often. And I imagine it happens way more than we even realize. Absolutely. But totally. The, the the thing is, like, we've also seen that it doesn't need to be this way. I think there's a very clear misunderstanding that, like, there are people higher up that think that this is how you run a business. Yeah. This is how you make a good game. And then you see stuff like Hades where, like, that is truly we play a lot of games for the show and and our opinion is not objective but that is clearly one of the best games made in the last five years and it was made in a very humane way where everyone was like super excited about it and there's a big difference between like passion and ambition and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. capitalist hell. You know, like there's a there's a version of like we all worked really hard on this and we're proud of the work we did versus like I had to make a, a horse's shadow for six months. Yeah. Right. I don't know. It, it's I don't want to I don't want to undermine the conditions with the joke in that way. But like, yeah, it's 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 horrible and there's no condoning it. Um, I remember, though, like. When the stories about Red Dead 2's working conditions first came out, a lot of the developers were still like, please still buy the game. Like, we don't benefit from the game not doing well. In fact, we'll just, like, not get paid as much. Right. You know, so I think because a lot of bonuses
0: and stuff at at a lot of major video game developers are tied to Metacritic scores, which is wild. Like, Metacritic scores and sales. So, like, if the game doesn't perform well, then people don't get bonuses at the end of the year, which is even more... Of a bummer.
1: I get your hesitation for it, but um yeah. I, I just hope that the optimism I have is that there's much more open discussion about it. I think that's like kind of how change begins with awareness so i'm hoping that we can kind of see more things like hades come out and again back to what you're saying about visual novels and like where you're putting the resources not every game has to be everything like think about what the intention of the game is and really focus on that that way you're not burning out your resources and your team by trying to have like the biggest and best thing of all time because that's not necessarily what makes a good game
0: yeah and and i think the fortunate and unfortunate thing about lego star wars this one Specifically, is like it is everything i mean it is it yeah. is every kind of game and it's all really fucking good it it feels a lot to me kind of like um like the dragon age problem that uh we've seen described via uh a lot of jason Trier reports about bioware where like dragon age came out was developed under i forget which one it was i think it was dragon age inquisition specifically it was inquisition yeah yeah, yeah. W- was developed under just like absolutely like inhumane working conditions and came out and was you know hugely lauded like it's it's an incredible game people really yeah. love it people like really think it's like a high point and from that point on internally at bioware management was like okay that's what makes a hit but Bi- they called it bioware magic and they would develop games specifically the exact same way they developed dragon age inquisition which meant like huge crunch people not seeing their families people staying you know super super late sleeping under their desks stuff like that and obviously like a lot of their stuff since then hasn't been super great
1: right yeah that strategy leads to anthem right exactly inquisition was a end result of the talent you had and then anthem was the end result of burning out that talent
0: yes i I think one of the big things about about bioware is that you know this story about the development of their games broke way after right it it was after anthem it was after a lot of the other stuff that they were working on but looking back it was it was kind of like a retrospective look at bioware's working conditions over the course of like about a decade Um, yeah i mean even
1: dragon age 2 like that i think they had less than A year to make that game, which like yes, that was very divided at the time. But like you know, playing it, I I played it recently, and it's like it's incredible that they that they made a game at all in that time and that it was that good. Mm -hmm. And again, that's like what the higher ups started to rest on, which is like (laughs) it's not the way to to do it.
0: Right. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. so. So my my hope of hopes, and I I don't know anyone at Lucasfilm. I don't work with anybody at Lucasfilm Games or whatever. I also don't know anybody at TT Games or whatever. But I really do hope that like this story. Breaking right before the release of Lego Star Wars will kind of be an aha awakening moment for the management over there to just like fix their working conditions because they can clearly make a great game but it doesn't need to be made in that way yeah so all that having been said that's that's the like work culture stuff about it I wanted to kind of like front load a lot of this with that before I before I get into like what the game is and, and why it's good Um, just because I, I I think that that colors everything that's happening of course um, but yeah. what I will say about these games I've played uh through the fr- very similar to the Phoenix Wright trilogy in a weird way uh, I have played through the first movie movie in all of the trilogies. So I I've done Phantom Menace, A New Hope, and The Force Awakens. And you can kind of feel like the the uh mismanagement weirdly, like on the back end, on the studio end, in the way even those three games are handled. Interesting. I I started with the Phantom Menace and I had played through it and I was like, that was pretty good. Like I'm having a good time. It took me about halfway through the movie or like the movie, quote unquote, to realize that like I could go anywhere. I could do anything. I feel like the game wasn't tutorializing itself very well, where I was just like running from like big blue checkpoint to big blue checkpoint. It would be like, do you want to continue the story? And I would say, yeah, sure. Then I would move on. And, you know, there were these like incredible sequences that would happen every once in a while, like that whole bit where Qui-Gon and Jar Jar and Obi-Wan are in the ship. And, you know, they're like trying to escape those really big fish that keep eating each other uh, on their way to the like central city of Naboo. That whole bit is like played out kind of like a galaga shooter in a way um that's that's fun that's like really fun and like really cool and like really well done it's it's surprising how good it is you know towards the end when when anakin is in the uh starfighter and he is like for some reason (laughs) you know taking out like an entire trade federation ship that's like covered in Uh gunships and he like flies through it and destroys the core inside and like blows the whole thing up and turns off the droid army whatever whatever like it's shocking how competent and how good the space combat feels. It feels as good as honestly maybe sometimes even better than like battlefront 2 wow you know situations where like games are focused mainly on that this game does it very briefly and like completely excels at it there's a bit where uh the gungan army is fighting the droid army on like the big plains in naboo that there is which yeah. is both like an absolutely hilarious moment in the game because as i mentioned it's like all kind of like visual gags like very like kind of monty python humor in a way like it's it's all very like yeah. tongue-in-cheek and like is very comfortable with making fun of itself which I'm always amazed this team is able to get away with that kind of stuff like when they when both the armies first come over the hill there's just like a guy who's mowing the lawn like who gets caught up in the combat between the two but like he just has headphones on and he's just like mowing this big like cgi like windows xp field um who gets caught up <laughs> in the combat which is very funny but that whole bit plays out as you as jar jar running around like loading up all the catapults that the gungans have and then when you're done like building up all the catapults and loading them it turns into kind of like a, like a real-time strategy kind of overhead like age of empires thing where there's just like swarms of droids coming at you and you need to like fling all these catapults specifically like aimed at different parts of their army to take them out one by one like those moments where like you're just like oh yeah cool 10 minutes of this and then you move on to the next bit which is like a cool platforming experience or like space combat or whatever it's all really impressive but phantom menace even that is like that was pretty good and I was having a really good time and I had a pretty high opinion of the game and then I went on to A New Hope and that that is on a completely different level. A New Hope is like fully realized, even like the jokes and the writing are better, the voice acting is better, everything about the way A New Hope plays is like so significantly better than A Phantom Menace and I know like the easy <laughs> joke yeah yes which you're already laughing it's lining itself up
1: yes
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's it's just like oh the movie's like not as good but it's a clear difference in the amount of attention that was given to realizing that movie Mm, you know and and you have to wonder like how much of that is I I don't know for sure but you have to wonder like how much of that is due to the way the, the studio worked on this you know the working conditions over at tt games and how much of that is due to the fact that like they just assume that most people will start with a new hope and that this should actually be the entry point because even when you start the game and you're running around uh, that that little cruiser uh, as as Darth Vader like shows up and is trying to find the Death Star plans and stuff like that bit tutorializes itself very well it teaches you that when you're playing as a a character who has a gun you're playing as Leia in the beginning and she has like a little blaster pistol it essentially plays believe it or not like a Gears of War kind of like cover based shooter (laughs) um, and feels like extremely good and is very cool Uh, they teach you like hand-to-hand combat which is very literally like a devil may cry system where if wow. you're if you're doing the same attack more than once enemies will start to block it and like it'll do less damage you need to constantly be switching up your combos and stuff it gets like really really in depth and very interesting and then you move on to the force awakens and it also very much like the quality of the movies feels like a kind of halfway point between the two mm. where as, as you're experiencing that movie and the story of that movie um, you can tell the moments that they really focus on, and the moments that are like a little bit less than. Like there's this whole there's this whole espionage sneaking sequence when you're on the Star Killer base and uh, trying to sneak around Captain Phasma because uh, your blaster bolts just like bounce off of her because she has the like reflective armor Um, so you can't like fight her directly so you need to like you need to run around and kind of uh, set up like sabotage home alone traps to try and like catch her (laughs) in places where you can electrocute her or whatever like that bit is very fun and it's very cool and then there are other bits that I expected them to go like way more in on that they absolutely did not but all that having been said I mean the progression of the game I mean it just it just feels endless because like I could sit here and play each each movie and each one is going to take like two Two to three hours... Right. So you do that nine times. And then when you're done with all of that, you've unlocked free play for all of those, which means you can go back and play through all of those levels, not actually do the story, but just like run around and explore them um, with all the side quests. And you can use any of the characters you've unlocked, of which I think there are like about 400 in this game. Wow. Um, And they're all set up in different classes. So there's like Jedi and then there's heroes and there's scoundrels and there's villains and there's protocol droids and astromech droids. And like they have just all these different (laughs) all these different classes of characters that you can play as and all of them all the different classes have their own individual upgrade trees as well so you can like level up all their abilities and give them new abilities and stuff it just feels endless like it just feels like you get this game and it's the only game you'll need for literally all of 2022 like it is truly one of the best games of the year that i've played i'm really surprised at how much i liked it considering like how iffy I was going in yeah. it's really won me over you know there's there's the big asterisk on it but but still i'm i'm just like, I'm really, really shocked by it. It it feels good. And it is really, I'm like laughing out loud frequently playing this game it's it's just great that's <laughs> yeah that's good to hear i mean I've, I've prior to like knowing that it was like a big deal
1: for a lot of people i didn't really have my eyes on it because i'm not like, i haven't played any of the lego games and i like have moderate interest in star wars i'm, I'm kind of like whatever on it yeah so like the nostalgia wasn't there for me but watching you <laughs> watching you stream silent attack of the clones looked fun and if that looked fun if musicless yeah. attack of the clones looked fun i'm sure i would have a great time with it too
0: Yeah, because I mean, it is like the full John Williams score like they they that's awesome. it's not like they have made new music for this or whatever or like music that sounds like it. <laughs> you it's not imagine like, if they did <laughs> yeah it's, like, it's not like it's not like temp tracks like it really is just the John Williams score and you pair that with some of the stuff you're doing in the games and it is you know exhilarating and the times in which they use it for comedy is also great yeah which I really love like there's there's a bit when um you're doing the trench run in a new hope to go blow up the Death Star uh, and you're flying around your X-Wing and it's the part where Darth Vader shows up uh, which you know should come with his soundtrack but as he comes in he like goes to turn on the radio in his in his tie fighter and instead it plays the cantina music and then he like keeps pressing the button to like go forward in the tracks uh of of the movie and and finally lands on the on the like the like villain march song i forget what it's called but uh like just little gags like that where they're like able to use the full breadth of everything star wars is really great yeah and i mean like the characters they let you play as absolutely wild I don't know, man. It's 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 shocking. It's shocking what they get away with and it's shocking what they've managed to achieve here.
1: I think even given my kind of like moderate interest in Star Wars, I think that I would really enjoy the location of a lot of places because like the time of my life where I was most into Star Wars, like a lot of people around my age, I had the remastered trilogy VHS collection. Oh, yeah. Totally. And I think I was like seven when that came out. And that was kind of leading up to Phantom Menace coming out. I think I was mm-hmm. given a Jar Jar poster. So that was in my room. <laughs> um, but I, I just loved putting them on. Like, I don't know if I had like a vivid recollection as a kid of like what even happened. I just loved yeah. like being there. So I think that like, especially <laughs> I, I was a weird kid. I loved Jabba's Palace so much, which was like the <laughs> creepiest place. But I had like, a, I actually had a Lego set of java's palace with the sarlacc pit and like mm. boba fett's ship i yeah. loved that setting so much so i think that like i imagine if i was given the ability to just exist freely within these really fun locations like even in the prequels there's some really stunning locations in those movies like if nothing else yeah
0: for all the things you can dunk on the prequels yeah. for i mean like it's the thing everybody says but the world building is really cool i mean like yeah it, it doesn't always fit to be clear I, I think that's kind of my my big uh, point right. that I brussel with is a lot of people like are, are, are trying to go back and like say, oh, the prequels are actually great. I don't think they are, but at, at least they add some like interesting flavor to the world. Like Camino as a whole idea. Camino is, is really cool. Extremely yeah. cool place.
1: I mean, it it feels like I imagine like a bunch of nervous artists like had dozens and dozens of concepts to show George Lucas and he just walked in and said yes. And they're like. <laughs> To, to everything? Like, you don't have... <laughs> okay, it's all going in. <laughs> like, like, okay, we have this option. We've got, like, the 50s diner restaurant. We've got the clone factory in the rain. We've got... Yeah, just throw it all in. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I think I'll pick it up before the year is over. I definitely want to give it a shot if it's like a contender for one of the year's best for sure. That'd I'm be fun.
0: most excited for you to pick this up specifically so you can play through The Rise of Skywalker having not seen it.
1: Yes, that's that's so I, I, I still haven't seen the final installment of the Skywalker saga. I, I did see Cats instead when Rise of Skywalker hit theaters. So I made the right choice, but uh, I, I will report back once I've seen the Lego version and not the original film.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually very interested to see how I feel about these as like versions of the movies in a way, because I could see a situation in which like I sit down and I think to myself, do I want to watch The Force Awakens again or do I want to play through The Force Awakens in Lego Star Wars instead? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I yeah. think I think by the end of this, I mean, I already think just because of the the breadth of content in the game, the the way they're able to distill moments down in ways that like feel much snappier in a way, because like they don't they don't want you so focused on the story that you forget to like run around and explore places. Even a Phantom Menace, like some, some of the ways in which they've like actually cleaned up that script and the pacing of that movie is like better than the movie <laughs> in, in some cases. Um, and, and I'm very interested to play through the sequel trilogy uh with that in mind too because uh we don't we don't how play, is the pod yeah. racing in, in lego phantom menace it's incredible I mean, it's so fun it's so fun you know That's it's awesome. it's not fully realized in that it's not like a full ass you know pod racing game like the one on n64 or whatever which is uh, i think now available on switch also yeah but you know it is like just that race from that movie and it is very fun and cool uh and there's a bunch of like hidden secret paths that you can take to try and win faster and uh but a bunch of of collectibles and stuff just like in that race by itself they do the whole bit where like you know the cable gets disconnected from one of the engines and Anakin has to like try and reattach it uh mid oh, race and stuff like they do all this all this incredible stuff and then you unlock Sebulba after it and then you can play through the rest of the movie as Sebulba so that's fun
1: I was about to ask if you could play as Sebulba or Ben Quaterneros
0: yes you, you can play as both of them yeah
1: I can't wait to play free play mode as Ben Quattermainos on Hoth and just like kind of vibe. <laughs> this is what I'm
0: talking about. Like those moments <laughs> exist in in this game. Like you you can do that.
1: <laughs> Don't give me that power. Don't give me the power to to be Ben. Uh, not and not the one you're thinking of, Quaterneros, you the know, <laughs> pod racer whose pod exploded before the race began.
0: You know in uh, in Jabba's Palace when when Luke gets dropped into that pit and he has to fight that big the big monster? Yeah. I think is that called a rancor? Is that a rancor? I think so. I don't
1: know. I think anyway, you're right.
0: You can play as a Rancor. That's an unlockable character, and then you can play through all the movies just as a Rancor <laughs> instead of whoever, if you wanted there to. There
1: was a really strange PS1 Star Wars fighting game that I rented that I was, like, obsessed with as a kid. I'm sure it's not. Jedi good. Power Battles. No, 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 no. I, I had that. That was, like, a like a Gauntlet Legends, like, co-op game. Oh. There was, like, a one-on-one, like, Tekken-style Star Wars fighting game. Oh. And you could play as one of the pig guards from Jabba's Palace, and I was, like, obsessed with that. Oh, I my was God. like, yes, nine-year-old steven was like in love with like everyone in that palace
0: masters of terras kasi is the name of it is that what it was yeah i'm looking at i'm looking at screenshots of it right now it's incredible wow where's this why is this not on switch
1: this has big like eu flavor
0: i think oh like, yeah it's the main cast you can play
1: as leia as a jedi oh that's cool which like very much is the eu was dash rendar in this <laughs> i don't know <laughs> <laughs> okay what's what's dash Rendar comes up which he has come up before on the show <laughs> i said i had moderate interest in star wars and i've name dropped casually <laughs> dash Rendar, and ben, ben Guadagnaros. Guadagnaros. and sebalba i mean sebalba is a big one though thock thock was
0: the character you were thinking of
1: <laughs> you saying thock turned me and said out like, i don't know what just <laughs> came out of my mouth i did a good dose take to thock Wow. Anyway. Well, well, sounds fun. Yeah, that's
0: uh, Star Wars Masters of Terras Kasi. It's available on the PlayStation 1. Uh, (laughs) Do you want to take a break and move on to uh, some other stuff? Yeah, I need a break. I need to just kind of meditate on what happened here. (laughs) Okay. Goodbye, dear listener.
1: See you later. And we are back, and we have yet another DS game to talk about this week. Very excited. It's one I think you brought up at the tail end of last week's episode. You guessed it. It's Golden Sun, Dark Dawn. Golden Sun 3. It's the third one for the DS. The, there are two other Golden Sun games. I believe the second one is called Lost Age. Mm-hmm. And it is a sequel to the first Game Boy Advance one, but they're kind of one big game. That's kind of what we learned when we did the Game Boy Advance episode. Is like, yeah. It's a sequel by like the strictest definition where it really... Starts off right after, and it's a different cast kind of doing different things.
0: Yeah, so uh, initially the, the scenario for Golden Sun was written, sorry, for Golden Sun 1 and 2 was written as like one big thing. And then at a certain point during development, they were like, we really got to, like, this isn't all going to fit on one Game Boy Advance cartridge. So we're going to need to split it into yeah. two. Um, and in doing so, you know, they gave themselves another year of development time um, and also managed to include a bunch of extra stuff, uh, which was very smart like switching the party and stuff like that so, yeah uh, you're playing as you know a different group of people but they were released back to back like it was 2001 and 2002 yeah. that those games were released um, so yeah. yeah, even 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 though they bought themselves like quote unquote another year of development time, that's still like only a year of time to make a whole second game. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. So I thought before we talk about Dark Dawn, I'd love to sort of like quickly revisit just
1: our thoughts on the series overall and kind of yeah. what we went into Dark Dawn thinking. Because I think like to be clear, I want to make this very clear before we we get the wrath of Golden Sun uh, fans on us. <laughs> I th- I think that these games are good. Like they're they're completely solid and enjoyable. RPGs. I think the way we brought them up on the Game Boy Advance episode was like, okay, we're doing a Game Boy Advance episode. People are like probably expecting Golden Sun to make it on our list. And like they didn't. And I think that's because A, everything's subjective and B, it's really hard to choose 10. There are so many great games that like did not make it because 10 is such a limiting number. Yeah, But I also think with Golden Sun 1 and 2, I do think 2 was way more interesting narratively, but they both to me felt like games that if they were my foundational experience with RPGs, I would probably have that same passion for them. Yes. But you know, what we often do on the show is revisit kind of that era of JRPGs and see like Okay, these are games that are heralded as like the best of the best. Do we still feel that as like a newcomer or someone without that prior experience, or is it like kind of just the time and place where that came out? And again, the answer to that is also subjective. But I think like we have experiences like Mother Three or Carno Trigger where we both feel like oh, these are timeless gems. Yeah, and I think Golden Sun. It's not to speak ill of the game to say that like it is a crystal of a moment of like the Game Boy Advance's ambition. That game is one of of a few titles that really proved that the Game Boy Advance is trying to push what you would expect from a handheld device yeah. in a way that I think really works like I think it's still really a beautiful game and I think the strength of it if you were to revisit it today is very much the presentation and the music and the atmosphere
0: Yeah, and it's still inspiring games today as well I mean we saw that trailer exactly. for uh, the HD 2D remake of Dragon Quest 3 which is just straight up lifting the battle scene or like the battle uh, presentation from golden sun like it has literally yeah. the exact same battle presentation where you see the backs of the heroes and then the enemies in the distance it is it is one-to-one so i mean there there are ways in which golden sun has still kind of i i guess inspired stuff going forward which is cool
1: also camelot the developers created waluigi so like just inherent respect across the board absolutely but uh i i just found that like playing one and two i was really i i didn't i didn't get super far into either i would say i got like 15 hours to 20 hours into the first one and about, like, 10 into the second one. So I gave them, like, I think, a pretty good amount of time. Yeah, and, I, and I never felt the, like the poll, like i I was enjoying it but it did feel kind of like homework and it felt like i was waiting you you've mentioned this too to me i I was waiting to feel what other people felt about it yeah and it just didn't it didn't really happen for me but i still thought they were solid like if if those were games that we were just bringing to the week to wednesday i would have good things to say about it it just wasn't totally top 10 level so anyway all that to say i think because we're sort of outliers in our sort of lukewarm appreciation of golden sun i was really curious how we were gonna feel about the ds one that is like pretty famously i don't want to say dislike like it did okay but it doesn't have the same admiration from the fan base that the first two do
0: yeah very very much not Uh, just like Speaking strictly sales wise, I think the, f- the first one did like one point four million, something like that units on the Game Boy Advance. Wow. The second one did, I think, one point one. And then Golden Sun Dark Dawn on the DS did, I think, like seven hundred thousand, something like that. So like definitely a disappointment, I think financially, but also the reviews, generally speaking, I think just like didn't didn't really work in its favor as well. And and I think fans kind of brustled against some of the changes to the game, which I think you and I are going to talk about, which kind of felt like a step backwards versus what the second one does because i i do think although on on my list specifically because you and i generally when we're doing stuff like the game boy advance bonus or the or the ds one that we're doing or even game of the year and stuff like that we'll pick like one game that represents a franchise in that case right so you know it's like okay for the game boy advance one i picked one pokemon game and that was pokemon emerald you know for for the ds you and i are probably going to pick one pokemon game to talk about or at least the one that like i think represents the franchise best on that hardware yeah so for the game boy advance bonus i did specifically pick the the first Golden Sun as the game that like made my list. I think it was the top 25. It was somewhere in there. But that having been said, I do think the second one is like, it is better. It does actually fix a lot of the problems I had with the first one. I had a more enjoyable time playing the second one than I did playing the first one. And the reason I picked the first one was just like, it was the first one. I mean, it sets up that world. There's a lot, there's a lot of ingenuity. There's a lot of really interesting ideas. I think as an entry point into that genre, it is extremely good. I, I think the big thing for me was like, I've already been introduced to the genre. I already kind of know and expect more from it than what Golden Sun was giving me at the time uh, that I was trying to play it. I I, like you played a lot of it and walked away from it, like being fond of it. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like top caliber on the Game Boy Advance, especially in stark contrast to things like Mother 3, which is like this is taking the genre in a in a direction that is like so unique and so interesting that like I actually want to see more things trying to do what Mother 3 is doing. Yeah, but uh, that having been said, I mean, like Golden Sun came from a team of developers who had worked on Shining Force for Sega Specifically, like at the time, there were a lot of companies really, really trying to take a piece of Square and Enix's lunches because the two of them had Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, and they had like such a chokehold on that genre in total that everyone was like really trying to come at them in every way possible. Sega had so many attempts. You know, they had Lunar, I think, was also Sega. They tried to do Shining Force, and eventually. The lead developer, Hiroyuki Takahashi, bailed and then founded Camelot and was like... You know, working under Sega to make Shining Force, like they had such weighty expectations for that thing that like it didn't allow us to actually be creative because they wanted it to be so much like a Final Fantasy or a Dragon Quest that it, like didn't allow us to do interesting stuff and like try and expand on the genre. They just wanted entries in the genre and then went on to do Golden Sun as kind of like like an expansion of that thought. Right. So they made a bunch of money working with Nintendo on uh, stuff for the N64 with, with Mario Tennis inventing Waluigi, as we said, uh, and Mario Golf on the N64 thing things like that and then by the time they were like okay we have enough goodwill with this company that we can like ask them to make something totally original and totally new that was when the Game Boy Advance was spinning up and then you know here comes Golden Sun and at the time I remember and we talked about this on that episode but like I remember being young when golden sun came out and like having a game boy advance and knowing other people had game boy advances and everyone in my life had golden sun like i i specific i have such a vivid memory i used to i used to swim uh like competitively when i was a kid from i think third grade all the way through high school and i specifically remember one summer going to a swim meet and like just waiting because half of being at a swim meet is just waiting for your turn to swim for 45 seconds (laughs) and then you just stand there and dry off and then leave <laughs> uh, but I specifically remember like bringing my Game Boy Advance and meeting another kid who had a Game Boy Advance and a bunch of other kids. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we were all playing like Game Boy over here. And they were all playing Golden Sun. And I just remember being like, what the fuck is this? And I saw Golden Sun for the first <laughs> time and just thought to myself, like, I'm missing something huge here. And I had always wanted to play it ever since then. Like, I remember Golden Sun being a huge deal. And it really was that entry point for a lot of people. I really understand why people have such a high affinity for it, because it allowed them access to things like Final Fantasy and like Dragon Dragon Quest and and Fire Emblem and like just really kind of like blew the lid off of what you could expect from a video game, because the amount of story present in Golden Sun one and two is so unlike most things that were available on that hardware. And even like, you know, like home console plugged into a TV hardware at the time, in some cases. Uh, Absolutely. Super impressive. I was
1: I was going to compare it like, you know, this sort of like lightning striking Gateway game into a genre. It reminds me a lot of Final Fantasy 7 which obviously I think mm-hmm. was like a larger splash. But I think kind of like Golden Sun. You know, I played Final Fantasy 7 when I was nine years old, and like that was my foundation for like games as art and RPGs and like fiction. Like <laughs> it was mm-hmm. this like big moment for me. And like, well, I do think that the original still has a ton of merit to experience. Like, go back and play. I don't expect anyone to enjoy it as much now without that. Like, there's a lot of stuff to kind of get through if you were to play the original the same way that like trying to go and play golden sun now like it just you know if it, it, both games feel more like a moment in time than they do like timeless if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah absolutely i agree it the thing we don't have to keep talking about the first two Golden Sun games uh, too much longer, but I I just do have like a great deal of respect for those games. And I, I was really impressed by what I played, but I had already come to expect more than I was getting from it.
1: Yeah, it was a different time. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Which takes me to Golden Sun Dark Dawn, which is the Nintendo DS third edition in the Golden Sun franchise, which is a very interesting thing, I think. So I, you and I kind of goofed when we talked about doing the nintendo ds bonus like oh there's a third golden sun i wonder if this will be the one for us i i just want to make it like very clear like i'm never coming into this show trying to be a contrarian i just have like a super fucking weird taste and sometimes things <laughs> hit in ways that others don't yeah uh for example i mean i th- I think like case in point being chrono cross last week like i really am having a much better time playing chrono cross than i did playing chrono trigger a game i loved yeah. like i loved chrono trigger yeah. but chrono cross it just feels like a monumental moment <laughs> for me while i'm playing it like it's really so worth it hear that um and i kind of joked that golden sun dark dawn might be a similar thing and i i don't think it quite is like it's not it's it's not like blowing the lid off me but i am enjoying it way more than the first two like i'm actively playing it i look forward to picking it up and playing it it doesn't as we have mentioned it doesn't feel like i'm kind of doing homework and like trying to figure out what people liked about it i'm specifically just like having mostly a good time i have like huge gripes which we'll talk about um but like generally speaking i think it's a very successful game and as you also mentioned earlier half of doing the show for us and the reason why we don't want to be beholden to new releases ever is this idea that like yeah, it's 2022. Golden Sun Dark Dawn came out in 2010 and fans didn't like it. But how do we feel about it now? Like, let's go back and look at this uncoupled from the weighty expectations of like, wow, Golden Sun is back. Isn't this exciting? We love this game. It introduces to JRPGs. How do we feel about this new one? Uh, and then people finding out it's a disappointment. Like, how do you feel about it removed from all that? And the answer for me is like, I think it's I think it's great. Like, I'm having a really good time with it. I think it's I think it's very successful. I'll be honest, like already right off the bat, I know it's probably not going to make the top 10. But I do like it a lot more than the first two. And I think it's worth reexamining. Like if you're out there and you haven't played Dark Dawn since it came out and you kind of like threw it out or you never checked it out because of the way it was received, like I would recommend checking it out. I would recommend giving it another shot Um, outside of the stuff that I imagine you and I both agree on in terms of where the game kind of like stumbles a bit. It is very interesting. And it's also, I think, very interesting in how how aware of its own legacy it is. Yeah, I mean, the whole story and everything about it seems to be very interested in how much people liked Golden Sun one and two and want (laughs) and wanting to be a successor to it in every way in ways that both work and don't work. But I'll just say like top level. I think it I think it's a pretty good video game and I think it's very impressive on the Nintendo DS.
1: Yeah, I, I will say that like the biggest thing about it for me is I, I adore the presentation. I think that like it's gorgeous the DS is retro enough that this specific style of pixelated 3D has now become its own version of retro, which I yes. think like we, we've seen. I think like the best comparison of like a modern game purposely going for a DS 3D is a short hike. Like it has that, you know, like <laughs> yeah. specific style of 3D. But I, I love the way just like the, the use of color in the in the world and the way the dungeons and maps are designed is is a huge step up from the Game Boy Advance one. I think that like the Game Boy Advance one loved rock hopping puzzles where you just like couldn't see the whole path. Yeah. And then you would go right or left and see more rocks and have to go back and then be like, oh, whoops, like, that went the wrong
0: way. And then you need to like yeah. use specific psi energy to like push a rock into the water and then you go in that direction. Like, yeah, it it, it felt it felt very repetitive in that way
1: it felt a little repetitive this like you're doing the same mechanics but the way the kind of uh visual design of the dungeons and the way you use the abilities with the touchscreen works so much better like it is much more of a gratifying experience to be yeah. like okay i'm going to use this ability to move this stone to hop across use the ability to make a tree grow so i can or a vine grow mm-hmm. so i can climb down it i really love that and i also really like the combat like the combat I always found kind of passable in the first two. Like it was it was interesting. I think once you get the gins, there's more going on. That's like, okay, I can like get invested in this. Mm-hmm. This is really like, it's not really adding too much new as far as I can tell. But it's just giving you more right away. Like there's a lot of Golden Sun 1 where you can only attack. a lot (laughs) and then you get the gins like a little bit later yeah here like they
0: kind of give it to you right away yeah Um, pretty much from go that's that's one of the things i actually wanted to mention about the second one it's one of the reasons i think the second one is a stronger title than the first is like the second one is is very aware that it's a sequel i mean as we said it was supposed to be one long game and then they had to cut it in half but uh the lost age really does assume that you've played golden sun one and because of that you just like really start off very strong you have like a bunch of abilities. You have a new party, a new crew. You're exploring the world. They don't really feel the need to explain a whole lot. So there's not as much text showing up. Whereas golden sun one is like really interested in his own world, which I think is interesting. I mean, it's a, cool world that they've created yeah, the I, lore I,
1: is very cool i think yeah. i think
0: the lore is very interesting but there's a lot of explaining that it has to happen in the first one uh, and and two is like okay we're gonna put that into the back seat because we we know that what you want is to run around in dungeons and do the cool combat with all these cool abilities uh like summons and stuff which are really fun in these games
1: Yeah, 2 also has the better cast. I think the the main characters in the first game are kind of generic, but in 2, you're kind of playing as like any heroes, like kind of very kind of morally gray characters Yeah, that makes it, I think, more engaging. And I think it's a really interesting story because without saying too much, I think the first Golden Sun for the bulk of at least the first half is following a very traditional Dragon Quest adjacent story where it's like Mm -hmm. you're you got to go do this thing yeah and the second game is like why did you all just say yes to that you did you think to ask anyone about what you were doing right. or why yeah, is this
0: actually good for the world yeah
1: yeah um, and then this third game dark dawn is is essentially being like what is the legacy of that story and yeah. you, you mentioned before like okay uh this game is sort of following the critical reception like what does that pressure apply to the game make the story look like it's similar to chrono cross in some ways where like mm-hmm. you release this giant critical achievement and then like this the follow-up has to like Even if it's not conscious, that does inform what the next game looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Even on an unconscious level or subconscious. So the the Dark Dawn begins with like the children of the main heroes from the first game. And this is where the game frustrates me because I do really like this idea of, you know, passing down the title of hero to the new generation. And it's, it is fun to see like Isaac with a chin strap and like, he's a little older now (laughs) and, and, uh, his friend has a mustache and they're like big dad energy. yeah. But the, the game, like you said, it, it likes its own lore. I think dark dawn is like Obsessed with itself.
0: Yeah, it goes so far, especially like considering that's a thing a lot of people really liked about Lost Age is that they kind of pared yeah. back a lot of the dialogue and cutscenes and things like that from the first game. This game goes so wildly far in the other direction, like even surpassing Golden Sun, like the original, in in a lot of instances. So far as when they're explaining things to you, sometimes there will be red words. that are underlined and if you press the l or the r button it'll open up a whole second text box where it will explain what that word means and the context behind it which is you know very much there for people who didn't play one and two like if you're starting with the third one like it's supposed to be an entry point for new people but what it really means is that for everybody it's just too much it's just way too much text and it's too too much to deal with that happens in every
1: line of dialogue at least 90 percent of the lines of dialogue has a wikipedia like citation link that you can click on and i'll be like oh <laughs> and then like half the dialogue is just like wasn't it cool when we beat golden sun and like i would love to see and i wonder if the story is eventually going to go into that frustration like cause i felt frustrated i'm like can you let me play the game please Like, yeah. I, i'm so sick about hearing like this could have been a fun moment and we could have then just taken the mantle of the new characters and gone on our quest it takes like 90 minutes for the dads to let go of the spotlight and it's like i can't tell if that's intentional or not you know i think it's like the game is so uncomfortable with silence and with things <laughs> not being explained and again i love dialogue i just said in this episode that <laughs> i wish there was less agency in phoenix Wright because i just like seeing the scenes happen mm-hmm. in between cases but here we're not getting scenes we're just getting told stuff you know, we're not experiencing moments between characters. I don't know truly, after playing all three of these games, I don't know how to describe any of these people. I don't know them in any way. Yeah. I mean Isaac is a silent protagonist until now, where he's a dad that's like kind of arrogant yeah um, he ta- he talks in the second one. Oh, that's right he does you know and, and maybe it being too harsh like i'm sure there's like traits that i will learn eventually but like this is setting up the story for the new generation matt is a silent protagonist and the kids don't get a chance to talk because the dads are too busy <laughs> telling me about what already happened like um it, it was very frustrating and the game like doesn't really stop doing that like i finally feel like i got through the prologue and i'm in the starting town and i, I messaged you because i'm like i got to the inn and i saw okay there's a sign with a sword on it a sign with a shield on it i get it you know and 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 i I understand that like you know i have a very strong history with these types of games so i immediately know what this place is but i don't think most players need the owner to after after a like six minute scene about (laughs) again something that happened before he then goes like let me explain to you what's for sale and i i screamed enough at the screen, I was like, I Hold just it. want to buy a potion. <laughs> Hold it, yeah. And like that's, I don't really get frustrated by dialogue that often, but it just they they don't let me play the game, which is frustrating because I really do like the game. I really like the dungeons. The combat is beautifully animated. This is like one of the best looking DS games, I would say. Yeah, it's, it's really shocking.
0: It's it's up there with some of the heavy hitters because I've been trying to play a lot of the more like kind of graphically intensive games uh, on the system, um, and it, it, just in. Terms terms of like art direction and ambition kind of meeting in the middle and making just like a really beautiful video game it's like this and dragon quest 10 for or sorry dragon quest 9 for me like th- those two in yeah. particular are just like Stunning to look at at all times, just in terms of like running around an overworld and exploring places like this. I I think the world of this game is gorgeous.
1: It's beautiful, and that's kind of why I want to keep playing. Like I I am enjoying it, despite my my harsh remarks about the beginning. And like I finally am free of the dads, so I can like (laughs) finally go on my own adventure and see like who are these characters? I want to get to know them. They're they're interesting and appealing, but I don't. I'm not given a chance to like just see how they live because they're constantly telling me about stuff rather than just actually talking to each other yeah so that's that's like my major gripe with it but all that to say, I do think like it feels the most polished of the three on a mechanical level, and it does make me want to see more of it. And I agree. I, don't, I, I think it will probably not make my list, but I I do feel the need to keep playing. So I want to see like where it's building up to.
0: Yeah, uh, I was reading a review earlier today that said that it really takes off 15 hours in, which I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it there, but uh, <laughs> I, I am already really enjoying what's going on. Specifically, I think one of the things that's interesting to me and and I think it is very much on purpose that Isaac and Garrett like really can't let go early on. And they just like Mm. keep talking and keep explaining things that seems to be really part of it. Cause without like spoiling the whole story of the whole trilogy, but you know, like you, you complete your quest in Golden Sun 1 and 2. Like, you end up doing the thing that you set out to do. And as Stephen already mentioned, like, that by itself, even just the act of doing it is kind of a controversial thing. And by the end of those games and where Golden Sun 3 picks up, you know, years after those games are over, the, the heroes of Golden Sun 1 and 2 are, like, actually kind of seen in a kind of gray light. Like, no one really knows exactly if, if they're heroes or villains in a way because the world has changed so much after the fact. And and because of that, you kind of have the expectations of that on your back is like okay who are you as as a hero when your dad is isaac you know who is this person that is uh as hated as much as he's loved by different people around the world i i think that the game is very interested in that and it's very interested in legacy and it's very interested in continuing that on i don't know so you're in the starting town have you gone to the like the psi energy training grounds yet have you done that i'm like about to get there so i'm like a few
1: hours in okay yeah I'm about to approach that yeah you're- i mean i think like what you just said like all conceptually
0: is fascinating that's the thing me. it's conception versus uh, yeah. execution you know it's like yeah yeah how, how well does it actually achieve what it's setting out to do um and and there's just way too much dialogue um but what i really think is one of the high points of the game that i've played so far is the psi energy training ground where you go into this area where a bunch of kids are like training to use magic and training to use these, these different abilities uh they're different like x-men powers almost and the way that they do that is by going through a training course that is a retelling of the first two games where. Oh. Oh, interesting where you make your way through and it's it's set up like exactly like the first two games are set up too. where you're like doing the exact same kinds of puzzles in the same areas as well so the whole the whole thing with golden sun one and two is you're making your way to these four different towers i won't say why or where they are or what's going on there but there are like different kinds of puzzles that are associated with those parts of the quest and the the training ground specifically like splits it up into four areas where you have to go through and make your way and do like little mini versions of the puzzles from the first game to make it through And those Bits are awesome like that was actually that's like one of my favorite parts of the whole game so far from what I've played specifically because like it was it was able to shut the fuck up for a minute you know it was able to it was able to <laughs> yeah. give me exposition through gameplay instead of literally just like text boxes with Wikipedia highlights that I have to make my way through and just like kind of put the DS down and just keep pressing a and just like let it all progress in this case I was able to learn about the story of the world and why things happened the way they did by the end of the first few games just by learning how to play the game so like making my way through puzzles and using my psychic powers to be able to do all this different stuff gave me a better understanding of how to use them out in the world what to expect about this being you know on the ds versus the first game because by that point you've already gone through a dungeon and a half pretty much uh by the time you make it there so you you yeah. kind of already understand like what this game is going to be. You now understand what this game was and then you can move forward with the knowledge of both. And that I think is very powerful and very interesting. Un- unfortunately, it starts to lose your interest the more it tries to explain stuff. But I think when you make it through that point, you'll be like, oh, yeah, this is this is starting to click for me because that was the point where I was like, I think this actually is my favorite one so far. And ever since That's then, awesome. I mean, it's still spending a lot of time explaining stuff. You know, I'm on the same quest I've been on for a long time. I'm trying to get a big feather. Um, but, uh, outside of that, like I, I agree with you. I think this game is gorgeous. It, it is one of the most beautiful games I played on the DS so far. I think the combat is really fun. It's really interesting. I'm really glad that they give you a lot of stuff up front. I do know one of the big sticking points people have, which I haven't run into yet, as far as I know, but maybe I have is that, um, in, in the first two games, you would run around the world and you would collect all the gin, which would give you different abilities and different summons and things like that. In this game, exact same thing is happening, but you can miss them. Like you can miss some of the gin and then never be able to go get them again. Like the game will lock you out of going back to those places. (laughs) So you won't be able to get them, Um, which has had me teetering on the edge of like, do I play this along with a guide? Do I really care enough to play this along with a guide? I'm not really sure. But for my money, my my whole experience has just been like, I know I'm not going to finish this game probably, but I did want to at least advocate for it a little bit. But that does mean I'm not going to like go all out and try and 100 percent it and get all the gin and stuff. I'm just going to try and, you know have a good time until it kind of peters out for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like there was probably a lot of pressure on this, you know, being also a new console and it's like, can lightning strike twice with golden sun one and then like the new age of golden sun Mm -hmm. and like i like the lost age the best but it does really require at least like a working knowledge of the first one yeah in a way that i think like even though this game is so also tethered to golden sun one and two there's there are enough resources here that like you could probably start with
0: this one if you wanted to i think you very much could yeah yeah it's just like how how willing and able are you to remember all of the information you know it's kind of the big thing when it just
1: lets me explore and get into battles it's highlighting the same part of my brain that dragon quest 8 does which is very high praise like i yeah, like i, exactly I almost wish it was like because what i love about dragon quest 8 is that there are long stretches between story beats that's just like getting into battles and, and exploring the world yeah. and that might sound tedious but i love that kind of negative space between beats it makes it feel like a big adventure yeah you know and the game is confident enough to know that like you're going to enjoy this and then we're going to give you the next splash of story like mm-hmm. in maybe a few hours you know right we're comfortable with that <laughs> in Dragon Quest VIII <laughs> um I think Dark Dawn is a good game for sure I don't think it's bad by any stretch I just think that it has some kind of major delivery issues that um, or the delivery of the narrative prevents me from like loving it at least yeah. right now but yeah. that might change as I get further in.
0: Yeah, I think th- I think pairing that back a bit would be a huge boon for the game overall. But I, I do think yeah. like if you're a person who loves Golden Sun 1 and 2 and haven't played the third one because of the reception or because of the way people talk about it, I would highly recommend seeking it out and giving it a shot because I, I do totally. think, yeah. I, I think there's a lot more to like here than people gave it credit for at the time, especially going back and like reading reviews from when it first dropped. It's also worth mentioning that like, this game I also think had a pretty short development time there were like rumors going around that there was going to be a new golden sun uh, around 2007 which then Camelot had to come out and like refute and they were like this is this is actually a hoax and then the person who made the hoax was like I was actually just doing it to see if Camelot would ever talk about golden sun ever again because I want a third one and the the rumor going around had like generated so much buzz about the franchise that they eventually did green light a sequel but that means that this game was made anywhere between like 2008 and 2009 it came out in early 2010. So, you know, maybe a year or two of development for this thing. Wow. Which uh, similarly to a lot of the stuff that we've talked about today is like, that's not a lot of time to make a game of this scope and this scale. So it doesn't surprise me a whole lot that there are these like really rough edges on it. Sure. Um, yeah. But that having been said, like, if you can look past that stuff and you really like Golden Sun, then definitely give it a shot. The other thing that I'll say is I I would like to see Golden Sun come back. Like I would like to see these games at least one and two get re-release on the Switch the same way Advance Wars is, or like do an HD two D kind of remake like the Dragon Quest uh, engine or the Octopath or whatever. You know, like I would love to see a re-examining of these games because as as we mentioned on the Game Boy Advance hardware, I mean they were just like stunningly beautiful, really really like pushing yeah. that hardware as far as it could go. The sprite work didn't even feel like sprite work; it felt like three D models. And on a system that couldn't handle that it's really pretty shocking and i think you wouldn't lose a lot by moving that over to a big screen like if you if you wanted to go in and touch that up or like completely redo the art from the ground up or something i think the story is strong enough and the combat is strong enough to kind of stand on its own i, I think there's a i think there's a world in which golden sun makes a comeback in some way if camelot would ever be interested in doing that um i i, I think people would go nuts for a re-release of those two games on the switch
1: yeah I'm I'm almost more interested in just like a new story because I think what I'm most invested in is the world and the lore and like the gins and the and the ties to planets like the elemental side of it so yeah. like it might be nice to just like Get rid of the shackles of Isaac and crew and just like, what is a new story here? Yeah. Like there's definitely a a tug of war between the new generation and the old generation in Dark Dawn, which feels like half on purpose and half by accident. Mm -hmm. So I just wonder, like, what is a new, totally new story in this world look like? Yeah. Or, or some kind of spiritual successor in some way.
0: There's kind of a catch 22 there w- w- that makes them unable to do either of these, like any of the things that we're talking about in a way. <laughs> so I, I think the big thing that's worth mentioning about Dark Dawn that I know, I don't I don't know the specifics of it, but I know this because people have mentioned it in a lot of reviews is that it ends on like a huge cliffhanger. Like, it ends with the expectation that there's going to be a fourth Golden oh, Sun. Oh, wow. But, of course, it's been 12 years since then. So, like, what are the odds that they're actually going to do that? So, I imagine if I were to guess, if I if I were to put myself in the shoes of Camelot and the creators of Golden Sun, like, where does that leave you in terms of this franchise? It's like, okay, well, we could go back and remaster one and two, but then people's expectations would be that that means that, like, maybe four is on the way do you just make 4 without the ability for people to play 1 2 or 3 like i don't i don't know how you proceed is the thing with this franchise yeah. i i think like you i you know throw it all out and start again i think is interesting like i think that'd be cool just like golden sun is an interesting world there's cool stuff going on great combat system there's a lot of like rich stuff that you could mine from um and just like kind of reboot the whole franchise in a way but there are a lot of things that a lot of people are asking for from What seems to be not a huge, huge fan base, right? I mean, look at how the third one sold, generally speaking, especially I mean, like look at how the third one sold compared to I know this is maybe unfair, but also like the Nintendo DS is the highest selling video game console of all time Um, and the highest selling game on that I think was New Super Mario Brothers, which is somewhere in the realm of like 30.8 million units or something, which is 40 plus times the amount that golden sun three sold you know like it didn't it didn't do very well especially considering how wildly popular that hardware was i wonder like if you're over a camelot and you're trying to decide if you want to do a new golden sun or not it's like well okay well they sold worse every time we made one and it's been 12 years and there's no way for people to play one two or three legally which really means like you can either start it all again or not do it, which is kind of a bummer to say about the franchise that I think a lot of people would like to see come back, you know? I think so. I mean, it's definitely one of those, like, in the
1: comments asks in every... Anytime there's, like, a Nintendo announcement, there's yeah. some comment that's like, what about Golden Sun? Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> like, look at how
0: many people asked for Isaac in Smash, right? Like, that was, I yeah. think, one of the top most requested characters in Smash every time they did those rankings. I mean, people, people want more Golden Sun. Uh, it's just a question of, like, is it a lot of people or is it a, a small amount of people who are very loud on the Internet? You know? <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, either way, I think, like you said before, we've seen its influence. So I think that whether or not there's a new concrete game in the series, like the legacy continues in some way, like the inspiration has led to other games yeah and so the, that's cool to see the
0: worst case scenario here for somebody who's a fan of golden sun is they played a game that gave them access to a whole incredible genre that is very rich and is still ongoing you know even if Absolutely. you're not getting more golden sun you're still getting new incredible shit constantly you know yeah um totally. so you know silver linings out here silver linings in the, the ether dawn yeah in
1: the, the <laughs> ether yeah Cool. Well, that's all I got for now on Dark Dawn. I might, you know, maybe if I get further in, we could revisit it if we have like more to say, like if it does like kind of grip us in a different way. But um, yeah, that's my
0: current take. Uh, with that, do you want to <laughs> wrap up? Yeah, I think so. We, d- we did most of the stuff uh, that we yeah. were already planning on doing uh, in the middle of the show. So I, d- I don't really have a whole lot to say. I probably will come back and talk more about Lego Star Wars as I play more of it. If I'm being honest, I, I imagine uh, as-, as I get further in and finish all nine of the movies, I will want to at least touch on the quality of the game all the way through the end. But that having been said, uh, I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff coming out soon that I'm excited about. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in June I've noticed that I'm excited about. Three hopes, obviously.
0: Yeah, three hopes.
1: Mario Strikers by,
0: I think, Camelot is <laughs> <It's> coming. <laughs> Featuring Matthew. Yeah. Um, Monster Hunter Rise gets its big expansion in June. Yeah, but this month, um, like towards uh, the week after this episode comes out is uh Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe which I'm like wildly excited about because I'm like why did it take so long to port the Stanley Parable over to consoles unless you're doing something like wild to it you know they've said that they've added new endings and they've added new experiences to it but like is it a whole ass sequel is it the Stanley Parable 2 like snuck into what is being called a remaster on the surface uh you know are my expectations wildly out of whack probably but i'm very excited to get my hands (laughs) on that rogue legacy 2 is coming to consoles at the end of the month which i'm also like so excited it's one of my most anticipated games of the year love rogue legacy i replay it like at least once a year big fan and then also nintendo switch sports is this month uh which has been getting really excited about that extremely positive preview coverage oh yes Uh, so i'm like so good to hear amped on that so i think the rest of april is going to be pretty stacked which is fun
1: spring is here you can play virtual table tennis with your friends with motion controls what else do you want
0: yeah uh and 13 sentinels is out on switch so finally people who only have a switch will be able to play that game uh i'm really excited for 13 sentinels to just get like wider coverage as we already mentioned asynchronous is covering it this season which is very exciting um so you can play it along with them i'm so excited for that Uh, And we have a bonus episode about it that is like half remembered in the way that a conversation about 13 Sentinels should be. Uh, So go check that out also if you play the game.
1: Yeah, doing that bonus was was so surreal. It reminds (laughs) me of uh, the director of Ex Machina and Annihilation. He said that when he read the book that Annihilation was inspired by or based on. Mm. He, like, didn't want to reread it. He just wanted to capture the feeling that the book gave him yeah. in the movie. And that's, I think, what we did with that episode. <laughs> very like, much, yeah. We just gotta, like, process what we just experienced. Yeah. I also just picked up Norco uh, on Steam, which has been getting a lot of... Me too. ...attention. Um yeah. Seems to be a kind of, like kentucky route zero-esque in terms of the topics being explored so i wanted to bring that up today but i just didn't have time to play enough of it so expect that in the next week or so if i if i enjoy it um yeah
0: i also didn't have time to play it at all this week which was kind of a bummer because i really do want to but uh i mean i I played so much other stuff i didn't even talk about this week i played spongebob squarepants the battle for bikini bottom uh rehydrated which was extremely good and is available for free on PlayStation Plus right now, which is wild. Uh, I played the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, which I did not like very much. I played the Fortnite no build mode, which I played one round of and victory. Uh, So that was fun. And Super Auto Pets, a game that I've brought up many times on the show, has a whole new expansion with uh, like 80 something new units in there. And that game has completely jumped the shark, but is still extremely fun. It's cool. Loyal to
1: my curse. I have also been playing a lot of skyrim again so there's that just kind of looming good for, in my good life for you. I, I called a, a friend of mine and i was like, i want to be doing something i don't really need to think about too much while i'm on the phone so i put on skyrim and then i kept playing when the call was over and i was like yeah. i'm back baby that's great it's my birthday tomorrow so i'm just like you know
0: doing things i enjoy for yeah. once yeah it will have been steven's birthday by the time this episode comes out so uh, wow so tweet at him
1: I was originally born
0: on a Wednesday, so it will
1: be fitting that this comes out on a Wednesday, even yeah, though the you, day is Monday. There you go, your second birthday. Into the Cast that Online is the place. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you soon. Have a wonderful early spring. Yes. Goodbye.